so often the narrative that we see in films and read in books and that we have all done many times is that whole like I screwed up what are you going to do about it I'll just do better next time maybe that will work maybe but not likely because mm-hmm. you know it's just it's just kind of saying like I'm just going to do the same thing and hope it's different and that's not great Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about building and maintaining trust in our relationships. What does it mean to trust your partner? And how do you establish that trust? And then if that trust is breached, what can you do to make sure that it's reestablished? We're going to talk about all of that and more on today's episode. So yet again, I asked our absolutely wonderful patrons who are just a wealth of knowledge. I so appreciate it. Uh, just some questions about trust because trust is a big freaking thing. It's a it's a big topic. <laughs> it really yeah. is truly I large. Just checked, yeah, we last time we did an episode about building trust was one fifty five back in January wow. of twenty eighteen. Wow. wow. Do you feel full of trust since then? (sighs) That's an interesting and complicated question. (laughs) Maybe for my partners, partner and friends, but maybe less for the world at large. Oh, I never started with any trust of the world at large. And definitely not for like our government and stuff like that. But yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. But (laughs) yeah, trust is just, it, it is kind of difficult to pinpoint exactly what I wanted to discuss and distill down within this episode. So for the purposes of this episode, I wanted to answer or try to answer three different questions. And Jay sort of talked about those in the intro, but essentially asking the question first, what does trust mean to you or what does it mean in general? And then second, how do you and your partners create and maintain trust throughout the course of your relationships? And then third, if you feel that you have had a breach of trust in your relationship, how did you go about reestablishing trust with that partner? So these are the questions that I posed to our patrons and they had some really great responses. So for the two of you, and maybe I can do some soul searching here as well. <laughs> can, can we talk about some of these? I think that this one goes back to something that I actually used to talk about a fair amount years and years ago in the earlier days of the show and haven't in a while, which is this concept of congruence, Hmm. um, which effectively means, well, kind of just that you line up, that the things that you say you feel line up with how you act and how you kind of come across that you, the things you say that you'll do, that you do those things, uh, just basically that there's kind of this sense of you're a, a safe person because I know at least to a certain extent what to expect from you. And that doesn't mean like I know what you're going to do or what you're going to think about any given thing, but just that it's, that it lines up. 
It's like, if you said you liked this thing, you don't, I don't find out later you're like hating that thing or, <laughs> right. Or that you, you know, say you're not worried about something, but then you act really angry about it or something like that. So it, for me, it's about, I think that just lining up and being able to believe that something you say is true and not just, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, but also that, that like, that's accurate, that that's an accurate reflection of, of what you're actually feeling or experiencing something like that. So I guess that's why I would take it a little bit deeper than just kind of the normal answer of like, you're going to do what you say you do. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think for me in recent years, it's really come to be attached to basically just like, are, are you still, when you make decisions, when my partner is making decisions, do you still consider me in those decisions? Even if I'm not, in the room with you, let's say like, like basically do you still have my best interest in mind when you're going about your day-to-day life? And that doesn't, I think doesn't necessarily mean, Oh, you always put me first or you consider my needs first in all things. Like, of course I think it's important for my partners to consider their own needs first and then think about everything else connected to them. But I suppose this idea that, that I don't have to be constantly advocating for myself or reminding you to take care of me or to consider me that I trust that there's this certain mm. amount of room in your brain and in your mind that's still, still keeping the relationship safe, I suppose. Th- throughout that whole thing in my head is just playing that song, Tim McGraw. Huh? Um, it's like an old Taylor Swift song, I think, but it's, but, but the chorus is when you think Tim McGraw, I hope you think of me. And it's just, that's like, I just hope that you're, you're thinking of me whenever you're considering like whether or not. Is it like a breakup song though? Uh, or is I it don't not? know if it's a breakup know. song or not. It has <laughs> a little right. bit of a melancholy aspect to it. But yeah. anyway, yeah, just that, like, I hope you think of me during these other situations, such as. Such as when Tim my partner McGraw. goes on a date with Tim McGraw, I hope they're right. still at least thinking of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. At least a little I bit. Love Tim I know McGraw that, so much. I know Tim McGraw can be very bewitching. And very oh, distracting. Boy. And I just, you know, just want to make sure they still make some good decisions. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. No, I love those answers. I think, yeah, that this idea that, A, you're going to do what you say you're going to do and you will act in a way that is, you know, intrinsic to your values and your belief system as well. And that you also have me in mind in in terms of, knowing that what you're doing is going to be hopefully aligned in some way with my needs and wants as well. I, I like that idea. Yeah. Both of what you said. And then, you know, the creation of all of that is kind of the next step. Hmm. Yeah. So like, how do you and your partners create and maintain trust throughout the course of your relationships? I, I mean, I don't know. I think for me, this, this reminds me going back to our, episode we did with John Howard, the more than words Mm. episode where I know his whole thing is about needing to feel like connected before we can communicate. And I I do feel like I'm the kind of person where I like, I need your words first, honestly, like Mm. I need, I need to feel like you're communicating honestly, vulnerably, uh, in a direct and forthright way. I suppose. So I suppose that's a little bit of the hoop that I want people to jump through (laughs) before I can trust them is I want to feel like, I don't know, I guess I want to feel like you're forthright and that you're able to communicate and you're able to be vulnerable. And so I think that's 
sort of the foundation for me beginning in a relationship. And then I suppose throughout time, it's just like, and then I, I guess congruence comes into it. Then like, do you do the things that you say that you're going to do? Do you yeah. move to the values that you say that you have? I also think trust is interesting in terms of how it develops over a relationship where there might be certain areas where I have a lot of trust with a partner based on my experience with them and other areas where I don't. Hmm. And that not having trust in certain areas, at least for me, isn't always a deal breaker. Uh, but it might change the way that I approach that relationship or change the the degree to which I'm willing to be entangled in that relationship or just how seriously I'm going to take the things that person says. Uh, you know, I, I think back to a time when <laughs> a, a friend and I, we were dating two different women who were friends with each other, kind of frenemies with each other, really. Oh, no. and oh boy. Both of us, you know, in, in talking to the person that we were dating, would get certain stories about their lives or about things that happened. And then when he and I were hanging out and would kind of share like, oh, yeah, we we're talking about this. And I heard this it was interesting. We would find that their stories don't line up with each other, that some somebody was lying <laughs> often, always, actually, pretty much every single time there was some piece of the stories that was like, uh, that's not what I heard from this other person who's their friend who said that about where they came from, like all sorts of little details. And so it was this weird thing of like, huh, well, okay. I mean, I can still enjoy this relationship, but that does change the way that I might entangle with this person or, or how much trust I'd be willing to put in them. But it was still a fantastic relationship and I'm still in touch with her today. And, you know, it's great, but I also don't put a lot of trust into any of the stories that she's ever told me. Hmm. I think when you're in a non-monogamous relationship, I like that idea that you can your your level of trust can be different based on the partnership that you're in and it may look different from one partner to the other and that's okay and it may change your level in, of entwinement or not with that person. So yeah, that is very interesting. And I uh, the last question, the breach of trust in your relationship if that happens, how do you go about reestablishing trust? I find that trust sometimes gets breached when expectations or, you know, doing something like, for instance, trying on non-monogamy and trying it for years and then all of a sudden getting very upset about it after the fact, you know, that can break trust, for instance, and, and saying, okay, I never wanted this or whatever. But mm -hmm. in trying mm -hmm. to do something to make your partner feel good, it essentially backfires because it's not something that you really want. So I think trust is a two-way street and you have to be honest and trustworthy yourself mm -hmm. and, you know, make sure that you are in in keeping with the things that you want and the things that you believe in and not, you know, make it not known to your partner that actually you want something that that is different than what the two of you are doing. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of something, again, I think we talked about a long time ago on the podcast, but just that many years ago I had a therapist who who really liked the the concept of safe or unsafe people rather than like nice people or things like that. And this is based on a book called Safe People, but I actually kind of liked her interpretation of it better than when I actually read the book. But one of the things that she would talk about was this idea that 
a safe person, which effectively equals a trustworthy person, I think, uh, or at least to a certain extent, it's a congruent person, um, is that they're not always nice, hmm. but that it's but that it's honest and you know where you stand, as opposed to that sometimes like, oh, I'm being nice. But in being nice, like you said, Emily, I've kind of ended up being dishonest yeah. and not fostering trust with this person. Totally. So, so yeah, I, I, that's something that's really stuck with me all these years later. And I'm not always great at doing it because I like being nice and having people feel good. But I do. It is an important thing to keep in mind because I do think that's really valuable that to to establish that congruence and honesty and trust and safety over just being nice all the time. Okay, so we're going to spend this episode attempting to answer these three questions, not just based on our own opinions, but based on research and also based on what our Patreon community had to say as well. So let's start with that first question. What is trust? If we look at the traditional, fairly mononormative lens, you know, trust usually just means staying faithful or that your partner's not going to cheat on you. Yeah, a lot of people sure. on Earth said that mm-hmm. for sure. When you type in, what is trust? It comes up with faithful, essentially. But then there are also yeah. other definitions that sort of dive more into the things that the three of us said at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I, I, I don't want to go on a whole tangent about this, but it's just, it really frustrates me that that is the answer. Because I think in reality, in terms of people's actual experience of having good or not good relationships based on trust, I think that the the faithfulness of it is really a very small mm. part of this yeah. much bigger thing, which is hopefully what we'll actually be talking about in this episode, is, is that that's more of like a small little symptom of something much bigger but that we get so focused on that because that's kind of the, the mononormative idea of like, that's the only thing that matters. That's the, the one most important faithfulness or promise or whatever. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so in, in looking at this, just how big a deal trust is was super interesting. So in a 2011 article in greater good magazine, uh, Dr. John Gottman wrote that uh, here's the quote, On PsychInfo, the database that psychologists use to do literature review, there were 96,000 references to trust. And it turns out that when social psychologists ask people in relationships, what is the most desirable quality you're looking for in a partner when you're dating, trustworthiness was number one. Hmm. Not being sexy or attractive, it's trust. (laughs) And that's, that's really interesting to me, that it's such a big deal. And yet as we've experienced, is a little hard to pin down and define. And sometimes people try to define it and they miss the mark. So it, it, it is a little more nuanced than that, which is what we get to get into today. But people want to have it. That's for sure. 96,000 yeah. and counting times. That was in 2011. <laughs> so it's probably like exponentially bigger Goodness. now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So a lot of times, yeah, trust is quite specific to the individual. It is you know, hard to find this all-encompassing definition, but I wanted to ask our patrons what they thought about this. And so here's some of the things that they had to say. So they said things like, trust is all about what makes me feel secure in my partner relationships and family and friend relationships. Also, trust means knowing that I always have enough information to make an informed decision about my life or our relationship. I love that one. I think that's really, really 
interesting and it, like a very specific distinction, just simply that you have enough information. Yeah. Trust requires me to feel like I'm being considered when making decisions that would tend to impact me. Oh, yeah, Dedeker kind of pointed yeah, on that. that. Was yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> nice. And also trust means a se- sense of safety, which is what Jay said. <laughs> yeah, kind of the safe people thing. <laughs> yep. Interesting. Yeah, and more that we got from our patrons. Trust means that my partner knows what is important to me in a relationship. I think that makes sense. Hmm. Uh, trust means vulnerability in sharing and working to heal things that could affect our partnership. It also means that he can trust me to be a safe recipient of his vulnerability. Yeah, I think I touched on that one also with the communication piece of feeling like I can trust that someone's going to be able to communicate um, vulnerably. Trust also means reliability, that if someone says they'll create an agreement or show up in a certain way, that they follow through on that. Yeah, so the congruence, the consistency piece. Another one here, trust is having a reasonable idea of what someone will do and thus being able to align your actions to theirs. Again, I think with the consistency, maybe predictability. And this last one, I need to trust that a partner will tell me their truth, especially if it is awful or painful. Again, driving home that sense of even if it's not nice to hear, want to be able to know that you're still going to let me hear it. Yep. Yeah. I think to go back to the one you said a couple ago about trust meaning reliability, that if someone creates an agreement or that they'll show up in a certain way, that they'll follow through on that. I think another interesting dimension to add to that is because because we all we're bad predictors of what we will do in the future mm. as people, right? Just as human beings, we're not great at it. We're we're okay, but we're not great at always predicting how we're going to behave in a future event, especially if we haven't experienced it before. Um, and well, some studies actually say that we're even worse if we have experienced it before. But Interesting. <laughs> either way, we're bad at it. And so I would say part of this too is not just that you will do your best to to show up in the way that you said that you would, but also if you don't, that you acknowledge that and own up to that quickly and then try to change things instead of just being like, oh yeah, oh, shoot, I'll, I'll hide that. Or oh, I'll just do it better next time, but not actually making any changes to make sure that thing is different next time. I would kind of add that dimension to, because I, I just think it's unfair to say it's like, oh, just about always doing what you say you're going to do. And it's like, oh, well, you said 10 years ago that you'll love me forever. Yeah. And now you're breaking up with me. Which one's the honest one, right? Mm. <laughs> to, to just yeah, sort of fair. fake it or to, to break up and be honest. So anyway, just something to add there. We'll get into some of that more when we're talking about reestablishing trust. But yeah, I, I like that mm-hmm. sentiment for sure. Okay, so the second question that we were talking about before is how do you create and maintain trust? So besides just what it is, how do it, how doing trust? <laughs> so again, to go back to the Gottmans, uh, as you talked about John Gottman before talking about how prevalent trust is in sociology research, the Gottmans talk a lot about this concept of turning towards your partner as opposed to turning away from them. And, you know, we've talked about this before as bids, like accepting bids or turning towards your partner. They also talk about these interactions as, quote, sliding door opportunities and how over time, if you fail to take those bids or turn toward your partner in moments of need, that that trust will erode. And I think what's interesting about this is that it's 
not even based on this trust eroding because you're not following through or you're being dishonest, but just because you're missing opportunities to turn toward your partner and connect to them when they've wanted you to, which I think ties back to several different people said, you know, including Dedeker, that part of it's not only thinking that my partner will think of me when they're making decisions, but also that I believe that they understand how those things would have impact me or how I would feel about those things, that there's kind of that reciprocal part. And so a graduate student of Dr. John Gottman, Mr. Dan Yoshimoto, actually created a fun little acronym, a tune, um, to represent essentially all the building blocks for building trust in a relationship. And so that stands for A, awareness of your partner's emotion, T, turning toward the emotion. The next T is tolerance of two different viewpoints. We have talked about this on this show before, the idea that there's these multiple competing narratives and we kind of have to build the muscle around that being okay in our relationships as opposed to I need to dominate the narrative or my partner always dominates the narrative. Um, Moving on to you is um, understanding your partner. N is for non-defensive responses to your partner and then E, um, empathy, colon, responding with. <laughs> that, that was my interpretation. <laughs> it's written Amazing. a little bit differently. It's not the best acronym, let's be fair, but it does make a lot of sense. It does hit all the points that you can see these recurring themes of, you know, with the awareness of like having that space in your brain that's aware of like how something may impact your partner, maybe is impacting your partner, and then not being afraid of those feelings you know, actually turning towards them, being okay with hearing your partner's viewpoint on it, even if it's different from your feelings or or your take on the situation, and then making an effort to understand, be empathetic, and to not be defensive in response to that, which makes a lot of sense. I know Jessica Fern also talks a lot about attunement in PolySecure. Hmm. Yeah, I think something that's really interesting about this acronym is that no part of this said trust doing what you say you're going to do or not lying or being honest Mm. or something like that, that my interpretation of, of that at least is that this is about, these are the building blocks even underneath that, that, that those things might come out of sort of this lack of acceptance of each other's feelings or lack of ability to understand that or lack of responding empathetically or being non-defensive. So that's just, something interesting to look at that in this particular model, building trust doesn't even have anything to do with the typical like, oh, this is trustworthy or not trustworthy. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, so you mentioned the safe, unsafe thing. And normally I take issue with those two categories of people because I think in reality, our partners don't always feel super safe. It's like sometimes people step on our toes or they make a choice that's a little bit selfish, not even realizing that it was going to be selfish or things like that. And so, you know, I think it's incorrect to give this suggestion that, oh, your partner's going to feel safe all the time. However, it does seem like what actually makes them safe is when there is a falling out or there is a breach or there is a misunderstanding that your partner can do all these things that your partner is motivated to Mm. at least understand and see your emotion and your, the impact on you and acknowledge it instead of just completely ignoring it or disregarding it or doing their own thing anyway. Yeah. You're never going to 100% across the board, like never have a breach of trust in a relationship. It may be small, but I think overall we've talked about like having those 
really good interactions versus the not good interactions. And that overall, if you're having many more positive interactions versus the negative ones, like that's something that makes a person feel safer or more trustworthy. And we had a patron of ours who hit on a really similar sentiment. So I'm going to read the quote from them. I'm solo poly. I tend to have partners with a similar ethos yet I'm often thinking of my partners and want them to do likewise. If I can't see that minimal effort and see many examples to the contrary that impact me negatively, my trust disappears over time until there's nothing left. Yeah. I also think this is worth pointing out that in some of the definitions earlier talked about that this isn't just about romantic partners either, that this level of trust of, I want this person to be thinking of me and taking me into account when they make decisions applies to all sorts of people, right? It applies to our siblings or our parents or our friends or or even our bosses or our coworkers, right? It's like, do I trust that you had me in mind a little bit? And so I think sometimes when people latch on to something like you know, solo polyamory or relationship anarchy, they can kind of go this route of like, oh, well, I don't have to think about what anyone else feels because that's their own business and that's not we're we're human beings and that's not how we work that's not that's not how that works so when i was looking online and asking this question how do you create and maintain trust there were so many articles out there that really discuss trust and creating it and maintaining it is essentially showing your partner that you're going to sacrifice for them And you're going to sacrifice doing the things that you want to do for the sake of the relationship and that you're choosing not to be selfish. So, yeah, also, I saw something that I really did not like that a way to do this to figure out if your partner is trustworthy is to test your partner to see if they're really and they use the word test to see if they're really committed to you and the relationship. What what kind of test? Is it gross? No, just like, (laughs) I mean, yeah, to like do put things in place to see if they're going to like sacrifice for you instead of being selfish and doing something that they want to do. Like Like what? Like a marshmallow test for your 35 year old partner? (laughs) Yeah. Gosh. Essentially just like doing things like playing hard to get and seeing if they're interested and invested in the relationship, stuff like that like that, which just kind of grinds my gears in a way that I find not to be really helpful or good at relationship advice at all. Even though this was in psychology today, I'm like, "Mm, okay. But, but yeah, I mean, these ideas of testing or, or even saying that like your partner is going to be sacrificial in some way or do something sacrificing themselves or what they want for the relationship. It just kind of rubs me the wrong way, especially in a non-monogamous context So I'm curious to hear what you two think about that. And if you can do that in a way that's at all uh, not gross and not negative, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it brings up for me very much that that old school idea of, oh, well, I'm going to get my partner to prove that they're invested in me by demanding that they give up something that's important to them. Yeah, or ultimatums. Like or their friendships or some hobby of theirs or their their guitar collection or like whatever. Like that, that very kind of tired, old school, super yeah. manipulative model that's generally taught to women about how to like get a man to show his devotion to you or whatever. And so, yeah, I think it's a lot of bullshit. However, if you take the concepts, though, and remove it from that kind of baggage, 
that idea of I'm taking you into account when I make a decision, you could frame that as a little bit of a sacrifice or not being selfish, right? Like, like the other day I, you know, saved the last licorice jelly bean so the Jedeker could have it. (laughs) Right. I was like, sure. I sacrificed having that jelly bean, but that's on a whole different scale from some arbitrary, you need to never do music again or some ridiculous sacrifice, like large sacrifice for no good reason. Right. So, it's like I, I kind of get it, but I I, do, I agree I don't like the wording because it the encourages wording, us like, to think in that ugh. old shitty way. But I do I hear what you're it. saying. My yeah, yeah, I I asked Josh like please sacrifice the last Lacroix or the last Topo Chico so that I can have it. <laughs> I did appreciate that jelly bean. Yeah, mm, that's good. Go. That's good. <laughs> we also looked at an article from 2019 by Lauren Campbell and Sarah Stanton that looked at past research on trust and discussed various things like attachment theory. And one of the things that they talked about in this paper was how people who had had relationships in the past where their partners were trustworthy were more likely to be more trusting of their future partners and vice versa. Basically, that having more trusting partners led to a more secure attachment in future relationships or rather more trustworthy partners. And that if they had lots of breaches of trust in their relationships, they would tend to have a more avoidant or anxious attachment in future relationships. And it's one of those things where it's, it's an interesting observation, but also not surprising. It's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I, I could see that, right? I've been burned a lot of times, so it's harder for me to trust people. I think that intuitively makes sense to us. Additionally, they looked at this research component that they called dyadic trust, which in my mind just is essentially it kind of takes two to tango. So they looked at things like diagnostic situations and the couple's perceptions of what happened, and they just sort of looked and calibrated the degree to which partners believe each other to be dependable, as well as their faith in the future stability of the relationship. So essentially, if people had higher dyadic trust, then it indicated that, you know, a partner will behave in a pro-relationship manner in the future. And then if you have medium levels, then it essentially creates more uncertainty. And then lower levels is far more uncertainty or this belief that a partner will not behave in a pro-relationship manner in the future. So it is kind of that like internal perception coupled with what has happened to you in the past and what is happening to you in the relationship in the present as you know, trust is going on. So there's a lot of things, you know, in terms of what trust creates and how it exists in your mind. And a lot of it can be based on past things that have happened to you and also essentially what is occurring in your relationship at any given moment. So let's check in on what our patrons had to say about specifically creating and maintaining trust over time in a relationship. So this first one says... Trust is established through a combination of words and actions. If someone does something often enough, you can trust them to do it again in the future. Another person said uh, that trust is maintained by doing regular radars and having open honesty. A lot of people mentioned uh, using a radar or a check-in as a way to maintain trust and honesty. So thank you all for that. <laughs> Another person said um, sharing what I need to f- what I need to feel secure in the relationship. Um, someone that's else interesting. Said, 
that that aspect of it's not just about doing the things, but about sharing what mean what's meaningful to me, what matters to me, makes sense because yeah. that that does help build that trust. Because then you can more accurately. That's that vulnerability again. Right. And you can more accurately take that into account when making decisions. But if you don't have the honest information, you're not going to be able to do that as much. Totally. Another person said, um, it's sharing what love language or signs of connection I need to feel this security in reality, Um, which that totally makes sense. This idea of here's how we actually operationalize Mm -hmm. the things that I need. This is how it looks when I'm in a trusting relationship or these are the kind of behaviors that I look for in a trusting relationship. Uh, This next one, I look for nurturing. Have we created a space between us where we can be honest about our feelings or a space where we know we can navigate how to drink and still ensure consent or a space where we can have heated debates and still respect the other person at the end, et cetera. I like the specificity with that one. This next one, um, owning and sharing personal shortcomings with one another. Now that's fascinating. And I mean, talk about being vulnerable and also really demonstrating a strong sense of self-awareness to another Mm. person. Well, I think our patrons have a lot of self-awareness. So well done (laughs) everyone out there. Yes. Well done done to you. And this last one, creating trust happens when my partner shares something important to them or who they are. And I can listen, try to understand and accept the vulnerability. Beautiful. I love it. And it, and it's so fascinating to me how much these line up with that attune acronym from Mm. before that's, none of it really mentioned just not breaking promises or stuff. It's like the fundamentals before you even get there is what actually builds the trust. This is really, I never would have guessed that that's how this section would turn out, but that seems to be kind of the predominant thing that I'm taking away at least. That yeah, it's I love more that. about these, these building blocks and connection than it is just about X, Y, and Z action based on X, Y, and Z words. So we want to go on to talk about what do we do though when something happens that breaches this trust. And you know, if you're in a relationship long enough on small or large scales, that's going to happen. But first, before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about the sponsors who help us to bring this show to you every week for free. It really helps us a lot if you take a while to listen to it. And if anything seems interesting, we got some cool deals for you or something, go check them out because that very directly goes to help support this show. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. 
That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. All right, let's talk about how do we get trust back if it's lost. So first of all, just what do we mean by this? You know, what are some examples of breaking trust in a relationship? And these can be big and they can be small. So some examples might be things like uh, discussing intimate details of our relationship to someone else that I'm not comfortable with you sharing those with them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that you were going to do that. You didn't check with me first. It could be something uh, like we've mentioned, just doing something different than what you said you were going to do. You said you were going to pick the kids up after school and you didn't. Or you said you were going to put the dishes away before I got up this morning and you didn't do that. Right? Again, big or small. Um, Not taking accountability for your actions. So that kind of that defensiveness, making excuses rather than just owning up to not having done something. Bumping up against someone's boundaries over and over again. This is an interesting one. We've talked before many times about how boundaries are in place for you to protect yourself. But if someone's constantly kind of almost testing that, pushing up against it, knowing that that's a boundary for you, that's not going to instill you with a lot of trust for that person. It's going to damage that trust. Uh, Not fulfilling relationship agreements. Um, Again, kind of like not doing something you say you're going to do. And in this case, it's often not not doing something you said you were not going to do could, could go either <laughs> <What>? way. Right. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, right. You know, doing something you said you were not going to do is what the simpler way to say that sentence, right. I, on either side. Right. Um, and not telling the truth. So, you know, maybe fibbing a little bit to try to save someone's feelings or maybe being a little bit less honest or just outright hiding something from someone entirely because you don't want to have that conversation like often happens with cheating when it's like, well, I, the, the problem often is more the hiding it than even the doing it. Although both yeah. are breaches of trust. So let's look at a little study on trust. This is an actual study as opposed to this kind of melding together of studies that made its way into that 2019 article. This is a 2013 Northwestern University and Redeemer University College study called Trust and Biased Memory of Transgressions in Romantic Relationships. That's interesting too, biased memory of transgressions, because we all have internal biases. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. their point and what we said earlier as well is that a lot of a lot of our bias comes from what happened to us in the past. So and and, you know, what even may have happened in the past in that relationship leading into how you perceive a transgression to be. So this is just a little bit about the study across four longitudinal studies. They examined the association of trust with memories of transgressions that occurred in established dating relationships and in fledgling romantic relationships. They did four different studies. 
And in all studies, participants reported on transgressions soon after their occurrence, providing initial reports of their early views of the transgressions. Subsequently, they recalled the transgressions and completed memory criterion measures of their recollections of the transgressions. So that's okay. Hold on. Can we pause and like say that in normal words? Because that was a lot of techno babbly sciencey words. So in layman's terms, essentially what that means is they, in some of the studies, they literally had people like take a diary around with them for two weeks. And then immediately after their partner did something that they felt was a breach of trust, they had them write it down immediately. So they were like, wrote down all of the different things that had happened over a two week period. And we were all laughing because these were college students, as they so often are. And Dedeker was like, yeah, I could have filled a whole diary in two weeks, too. (laughs) I could have. (laughs) Boy, howdy. Yeah. Um, And then after, you know, the study was concluded or at the end of the study, they had these people think back to those transgressions and they essentially looked at whether or not their memory of it matched what they had written down when the actual transgression occurred. So they're kind of looking at, you know, did it change over time? Did it become worse in your mind or less worse? Things like that. And then they studied that basically based on how, I guess, what your cognitive bias is towards trust in general. Yeah. And the other studies were all similar, you know, using different ways of measuring it, but the same kind of idea of, of seeing how they felt about it right away and then checking back in some amount of time later. Yeah. Right. Anywhere from two weeks to I think six months six was the months, longest. Yeah. And then looking back and seeing, yeah, did, did your memory become worse or better? Like you said. Which is yeah, really, and, really interesting way to approach this study. Mm-hmm. And and this is some of the first research to actually systematically examine how trust plays a role in biasing our memories. And what they found was that people who are highly trusting tend to remember transgressions in a way that benefits the relationship, as in they remembered their partner's transgressions as less severe than they originally reported them when they initially wrote them down in the journal right after it happened. But then people who are not very trusting, people who are low on trust, demonstrated the opposite, that they remembered their partner's transgressions as being more severe than how they originally reported that. really interesting. Yes, super fascinating. And I have a quote here from Laura B. Lucci's, who's also the assistant professor of psychology at Redeemer University College, summed it up this way, quote, if you talk to people who really trust their partner now, they forget some of the negative things their partner did in the past. If they don't trust their partner much, they remember their partner doing negative things that the partner never actually did. They tend to misremember. Oof, oof a doof. Yikes. Yeah, wow. (sighs) That's scary. It is a little scary. (laughs) With with a lot of these, you know, they mention, I mean, at the end of most studies, this is mentioned of just, there's need for more research on this. I think this one would be a really interesting one to look at doing this kind of a study and then trying different sorts of interventions to help build trust in a relationship and then doing this again and seeing if you are able to measure any improvement in that. Because right, this is kind of based on, you know, because it was over a relatively small period of time, it's kind of based on this assumption for the study that this person has some fixed level of trustingness or not trustingness, right? And so it'd be interesting to see how that might change over different relationships or after doing different things to build trust. 
Well, and in non-monogamy, it may be different from one partner to the other, potentially. So, yeah, there's so many different ways that a study like this could go. Yeah, that'd be interesting, too, to even do it with multiple different friends or multiple partners at the same time and see how that might vary. Yeah, lots of interesting stuff. All you researchers out there, you know, have that one for free. Give give us a little shout out in the notes somewhere, but that's cool. All right, (laughs) so... So one thing that we looked at was, uh, this is an article from lifehack.org by someone with one of the coolest names I've seen in a while, which is Dr. Magdalena Battles. Wow. Which is just cool. I don't know if she says it as battles, but it might be butless. Butless. I don't know. But Dr. (laughs) Magdalena Battles uh, has another acronym. This is a very heavy acronym episode. We love that Uh, here in Multicamry. This is, yeah, this is a framework for how you can work on rebuilding trust after some kind of a breach. And the acronym is Come Forth. And what's fun about this is that the come part, C-O-M-E, is for the offender, the person who did the breach of trust. And then fourth is the acronym for the person whose trust was was betrayed in some way. So starting with the, the come for the offender, C is come clean. So be honest and tell your partner what happened. So kind of like we mentioned before, not trying to hide it. The O is open yourself emotionally. So this goes back to stuff we talked about in the past with how to do uh, good apologies, you know, how to give good apologies. And it's show remorse, ask for forgiveness, do some internal introspection, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So open yourself emotionally to accept the fact that you messed up. M, make meaningful conversations. So this is discuss fears Maybe why the breach of trust happened in the first place. I worry a little bit that that gets into making excuses, but I guess try to avoid (laughs) leaning too heavily on just making excuses for yourself. Um, But to try to figure out and relay the root cause of the issue, I'm assuming to then help set things in place so that it won't happen again. Uh, And then the E of come is engage in full transparency. Be honest, relay information that may have been previously unknown or hidden. So maybe kind of amping up your level of of kind of radical honesty after this to really show, you know, no, I want you to know everything and I want it to be, I want it to make it extra clear that I'm not hiding something from you because I did before. I think it is interesting in looking at that, like relaying information that may have been previously unknown or hidden. And again, not to say that, you know, I'm going to blame my partner because a breach of trust happened. But if there is an underlying issue, like, hey, in the past, this specific issue has gotten a lot of anger and, you know, whatever, when we discuss it, I know that a breach of trust happened on my end, but I was very fearful about talking about it with you. And so is there a way that we can come together and speak about that more freely in the future, for instance? Yeah, and that's a hard conversation to have, but, but that is really, really important for that honesty to be available. Absolutely. So the second part of this acronym is the fourth part, and it is for the victim. So F is for forgive, and this forgiveness might need to happen when you have physiologically and emotionally regulated. You can try to approach the person with empathy when you are forgiving, try to be understanding. That's going to be helpful for both yourself and for them. 
O is for open conversation. So with this, you can use things like I feel statements. Like we said, try not to blame. Uh, and then also invite your partner to have safe and open conversations with you. R is request what you need. So discuss what you need in order to heal the relationship and then also try to set some reasonable goals and expectations for the future. T is talk about the betrayal to a professional or a confidant. And this is important, I think, because especially when you are trying to get back to a place of emotional regulation and physiological regulation, sometimes that's going to be impossible to do to your part with your partner. And so you may want to do that with somebody else first so that you can get yourself to a better emotional place that is a little bit more neutral when you're speaking to your partner about it. And so, yeah, I mean, that might be best with a therapist. That might be best with a friend, uh, you know, someone that you really trust. Definitely go there potentially. And then finally, H is heal yourself and the relationship. That's, you know, sometimes easier said than done. But if you want to continue the relationship, this may take a lot of time, uh, depending on the offense, or it may be something that happens pretty quickly. Lastly, we're going to end things out by sharing what our patrons have to say specifically about this, about how to get back trust if it's lost. So we got a lot of fantastic suggestions, including um, acknowledge the pain that it caused and the consequences of the other person's trauma. Um, the next one, when a breach of trust occurs, it requires some grace and space to allow trust to reblossom. Both folks have to be willing to work on it. And yeah, I think that's a really great point that it's a, it is a little bit of a two-way street of both needing to step forward if you're the person who is the offender who breached the trust, as well as being able to receive that on the other end. Um, this person said, trust is a road that is constantly being built, like an infinite Jenga game, question mark. Well, Jenga game's kind of built upwards and gets more wobbly as you build it. But yeah, if there's some know, version of Jenga that involves <laughs> it's like you Maybe take out a piece and you have to mm. put it somewhere else. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Or maybe if you're sort of screwing together the pieces as you go, oh, so you're making you it more solid instead of less solid. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like this one. I think the first step to repairing a breach of tr trust is to admit that it happened and hear the feelings around it before jumping into solutions. Mm. Yes, definitely. Can't skip over that understanding and empathizing portion. Um, next part of trust is asking people to tell me what's going on with them and not what they think I want to hear. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Again, that whole, yeah. Being honest is more important than being nice all the time. Somebody also said trust is something that I have to choose over and over again. I think that goes back to the road that's constantly being built. Hmm. Someone said, if a breach of trust happens, I need to understand why it happened and what it means to them, what led up to it and what the feelings are after. Also, yeah, I that kind of goes back to the come forth thing, right? Yes. On both sides of kind of opening up, being honest, and also hearing and receiving that from each other. Totally. I need to see that they don't want it to happen again. So renegotiations, changing agreements, scripts, expectations are one thing that might happen. Yeah, that's interesting mm. that yeah. things may need to be readjusted because clearly it may not have worked the first time around. I, I, yeah, I think this one's huge. That that I think so often what we like the narrative that we see in films and read in books and that we 
have all done many times is that whole like I screwed up. What are you going to do about it? I'll just do better next time. Yeah, no, and that's it's like not that, good enough. <laughs> yeah, and like maybe that will work, maybe, but not likely because mm-hmm. you know it's just it's just kind of saying like I'm just going to do the same thing and hope it's different, and that's not great. So yeah, putting something in place it could be something small. It could just be like, well, let's not make that promise or that agreement anymore, and instead find some other way to get our needs met. Or it could be changing circumstances around it, or you know, any number of other things. But I think I do think that one's key that it's not like trust isn't just this like you just power through and that's how you're trustworthy it's like no there's also how do you make promises you can keep or have agreements that do work for you and how do you put yourself in situations so you can actually follow through on those yeah Somebody also said, in the case of a breach of trust happening with a partner who has a traumatic past experience, is neurodivergent, or has any type of mental illness, I need to know that their behavior isn't aligned with their values, but it was the best they could do in that situation. I need to know that they've talked about it as soon as they could, and then also see the willingness to grow. That's really interesting and specific, but I think a good distinction, because sometimes maybe it is just the best that they could do in the moment. And it wasn't necessarily that they meant to do that, or it came across in a way that they didn't expect, but Mm -hmm. just that people know that there's an alignment of values that is moving in a positive direction and two people coming back together as opposed to continually going apart. It is an interesting question, which goes back to something we've talked about way back in the past, but this question of, you know, they said that, their behavior didn't align with their values. Yeah. It's like, well, maybe they actually just have different values than you. And that's also a valid difference. And again, maybe means that relationship isn't going to work, but Mm -hmm. hiding that or just trying to sort of be nice or not make waves by sort of hiding the fact that your values are different or trying to change those is going to make that trust harder to maintain. So just, just something to think about there too. Yeah. Uh, Another person said another part is their actions. I need to see them actually trying to do the things they said they'd do. I need to see work on the issues that led to the breach of trust. I need to see them be open and honest and actually see the trust I place in them as justified. At the uh, Another person, at the same time, I need to also act accordingly. In many cases, I have somehow added to that breach happening, which we've mentioned a little bit earlier. And so I need to be willing or able to work on that too. Otherwise, it'll just happen again. So that honesty needs to come from both sides. One person says, I need to ask myself, are our values lining up? Kind of kind of like I was saying. Can we both work with how things are right now? Do either of us need to sacrifice anything for this to work or to make space for growth? Another one, be as explicit as possible in order to make sure no one assumes something incorrectly and trust gets breached again. That's a great point that we haven't even talked about in this episode is that sometimes that breach of trust wasn't because someone made a mistake in doing the thing, but they they had a a different understanding of what that agreement was or what was expected of them. Totally. That's a big one. Yeah. And the last one here is about having verbal reassurance statements like I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. Um, I think those sorts of things, you know, if you have that good foundation under it, those sorts of things can be really meaningful and can help to to foster that connection and affection and trust with each other. Wow. 
Well, I don't know if we answered the question what trust is, but we tried to. We cobbled together a pastiche of something, maybe resembling an answer. And I got a pointillism painting. Exactly. (laughs) Got to look at it from far enough back, and you'll see the picture. I got to say, a lot of the things that sort of resonated with me the most were what our patrons had to say. They were very, yeah, just self looking inward at oneself and realizing that part of the time, sometimes they're part of the problem and also need to do some inner work and stuff like that. And then also that trust comes from those fundamental building blocks, like Jace was saying throughout the episode, as opposed to it just being like, don't not do the thing that you said you were going to do or something (laughs) like that. It's, it's deeper than that. And I really appreciate that. So thanks to everyone who helped out with this episode. We really, really appreciate it. Our question of the week that's going to be on our social media Instagram post is, what does trust mean to you and your relationships? Because as, as we showed, it's different for everyone. So we're interested to hear what it specifically means for you. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song as forms I know I did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.